1: Tom, do you want to introduce our guest? Considering oh, no, no, please. The, no, no, please, please. you. So I, you I, you I, were so, so keen on dis- I, no, disrupting the top of the program. I, I,
0: urge you to, I urge you to kick off the program.
1: <laughs> Bruce Kassman. Somebody, please. Bruce, there'll be a spare mic in about two minutes if, if you want to take it. The chief economist <laughs> at J.P. Morgan. Good morning to you, Bruce. Good morning. 100 straight months of gains for payrolls. Widely expected in January. 100 straight months of payroll gains in America. How much longer can we do this for?
2: I think we can continue to do this for a while, especially since we now have a Fed who seems to be on an extended pause and, you know, I think we have to absorb some of the weakness coming from abroad, and we do have some risks. But I, I don't think this expansion is close to ending, so I don't see why we can't keep going for a couple more years at least.
0: It, to John's really important question, I didn't know that, John, that was 100 months in a row. John, wouldn't you agree, as we look at all the economists we speak to, it was the great missed call of the, of the recovery it was 200-plus thousand a month? Everybody was assuming 125. A
1: couple of years ago, everybody said, get ready for 200K to slow, get ready for it to slow, and it didn't happen. So, Bruce, if this can continue for the time being, can it continue at the clip that it has done through 2018? With
2: what you uh, set me up, I'm a little bit cautious in saying I do think job growth is going to slow here because we've been running an economy that's... uh, Been supported by stimulus, and that is starting to fade. And I think the global economy is softer as well. So we think job growth today is going to be 170,000. I think as we move through the rest of the year, we slow into the 125, 150 range. If we're if our broad forecast on growth being close to two percent is right, Uh, that's still pretty good, and uh, it's still going to put a downward pressure on the on the unemployment rate. And that I think ultimately becomes your call. The Fed is basically saying. Hey, we don't think we're going to see inflation anytime soon, so we could signal a longer pause. I would agree with that. I don't think the problem is going to be inflation moving up, but I do think wages are going to get higher. And I think the problem as we go through the next year, year and a half, is the compression in corporate
1: profit margins that we begin to see. How will companies respond to decelerating nominal growth and compressing margins? How will they respond to that just in terms of hiring? Well, I
2: think they're going to bend a little, and that's the forecast we have, but I don't think they're going to break, especially given that it has come against the backdrop of what was a really good two-year run in terms of corporate profits and margin expansion. So our call is the corporate sector pulls back modestly uh on both jobs and business spending and we have an economy that slows down to about a two percent pace here
0: if you're just joining us bruce casman with jp morgan i want to go back to uh the theme of the week out of the san francisco fed a brilliant paper thanks to jim edwards of business insider for really pushing it forward uh involuntary part-time employment are the jobs we're creating are they full-time
2: uh, for the most part, they are. I think what we have seen full in this, time
0: with medical benefits is that is that part is that assumed.
2: I don't know the data on how many people have medical benefits, but clearly today there's more people with with health insurance than there were five or six years ago. Part oh, right. of that is Obamacare and some other mm-hmm. things that have gone on. I think the issue on this economy is not that we're creating uh, bad jobs, it's that we are still sitting with a part, a utilization rate of labor participation rate, which is still very much lower than where it was uh, before the expansion. Uh, we're still sitting with wage inflation, which was lower, as we talked about earlier, but where it was in the previous expansion. So the labor market is tight, but we've only partially recovered. And that's one reason why I think the Fed is willing to give this experiment Uh, some time to work to see how far we can go before inflation becomes an issue.
1: I mean, maybe the Fed will and uh, maybe it won't. I think the consensus view at the moment is that they've got to the right place in terms of policy. But how we got here, Bruce, was an absolute mess over the last couple of months. I actually asked this question a couple of times yesterday to try and get a better picture of where people think the Fed is actually going. So we sit here now with what many people assume is the right policy setting for this economy and the amount of uncertainty abroad. But then someone turned around to me yesterday and said, "Well, hang on a minute. The journey does matter. How we got here was a total mess, and how do you know that in a couple of months' time, after a few payrolls prints that are really, really strong, that this Fed won't introduce the likelihood of another rate hike?"
2: Well, I think in the next couple of months if you take the signal in its entirety on Wednesday, it would be it would be a mess if they would shift back that quickly even if the data flow is good. What I would argue about this is that the last three or four months, you have to realize the Fed had been on a path to get to some level that was close to neutral. And they were basically signaling they were relatively insensitive to the incoming news. Uh, They actually welcomed some adjustment in financial conditions as they did that. And then that began to snowball on itself and they had to make a change. Also, they got rates up into the mid twos. So I wouldn't characterize it a mess. And I would be characterizing it as a mess if we, in two months' time with better economics, yeah. we see the Fed kind of backtrack on the statements uh, that they made but, on Wednesday.
0: But linking in jobs here, and this is important, the one-off of a weaker first quarter GDP, the J.P. Morgan House call is we go back to Richard Clare to solid economy.
2: Um, yeah, solid economy, but not the economy we had in 2018, which was clearly booming. Well, it was goosed. I mean,
0: everybody, even the president, would, would admit it was goosed. He wants more of that. So
2: we come back to a solid economy. We continue to see job growth. We continue to see wage inflation move higher. But core inflation sticks at around 2%. And the question is, does the Fed have any reason uh, to move? And I think they're telling us that that's probably not going to be enough to get them to move as we go through uh, the next couple of quarters. But I
1: think my frustration with the Federal Reserve is, is you describe this economy. Of course, it was goose through 2018. It was gonna slow down in 2019. Everyone was saying the same thing. You all saw it on the horizon. And then the Federal Reserve behaved like it was a corner it didn't see in the road, a turn it didn't see in the road, and it's sliding the back end of the car out. I mean, I don't understand why the Federal Reserve ha- has done this abrupt turn when so many people saw this coming through 18 into 19 that growth was going to slow. So why didn't the Federal Reserve start making the adjustment in December? Why was it only after the December news conference that all the troops were sent out from the FOMC to start pledging patience? I didn't hear it in the chairman's news conference in December. I didn't hear any of what I heard a couple of days ago from him. This is an abrupt turn, Bruce, in six weeks.
2: I do think we had a shift in December, which basically signaled to us. That the march meeting was off the table that this sequence of moving every quarter had been broken but what they were signaling us in december was a pause and a tightening cycle that had not been completed on their point in time and certainly market participants uh, were frustrated by that at least some Uh, there's also issues around how they're talking about the balance sheet Um, again i'm going to defend the fed a little bit here which is that i think they've uh, made an important shift uh, this week uh, a shift that we didn't expect in the magnitude of it But they have been gradually moving against an economy that, you know, has continued to grow, has seen risk build pretty quickly. Basically, it started to rise in October uh, in terms of the financial market adjustments, in terms of the deceleration, and it took them three months against the backdrop of a four or five month event. It's, you know, you could argue it's slow from market time, but it's not actually that slow in real time in terms of what the data has been showing us.
1: Bruce, always great to get your insight on the economy and, of course, on the Federal Reserve as well. Bruce Kassman, the chief economist at J.P. Morgan.
0: digress over to the equity markets here. We've Got some good guests coming up on the labor economy. John Golub joins from Credit Suisse as well. John, you have a killer chart, which answers a lot of questions of our listeners. If you take the stock market and you rip out Apple with all of its emotion and effect, and you rip out energy with all the dynamics of that goofy sector, you get a different look. What's the look of the equity market? X Apple, X Energy.
3: Well, when you look, good morning, Tom. When when you look at the earnings um, picture, um, things are coming in exactly in line with long-term averages if you X out Apple and energy stock with respect to um, stock price revisions. And the reason this is so important is because the headlines are reading that these results are coming in horribly and that that earnings expectations are being slashed, and, and that's just really not the case.
1: John, what do you say to people that say, "Well, this is easy. Just strip out the weakness, and of course, you'll end up with some strength." Oh, whoa, why, whoa, whoa, why, whoa, whoa, whoa. why is this? Why whoa, is this a whoa. useful exercise, John?
0: John, Farrow, Ew, me... John John Golub has done that for fifteen years. I mean, that's well, how you know, that's funny... John's whole act. <laughs>
3: Well, you know, the funny thing is when I, when I do – when I strip out things that make things look better, um, people say that you're trying to juice the numbers. But the same yeah. works in the opposite direction. Let me give you an example. Um, yeah. the, in the first three quarters of 2018, the, the uh, earnings grew at about 27 percent, a ridiculously good number. I said, wait a second. That, you can't count that because, first of all, you have all these tax gains, which, you know, tax benefits, which aren't going to continue into the future. You have a whole bunch of one-off items. And when you actually look at the underlying trend, you're left with something probably closer to 10 percent, which is still healthy, but yeah. more importantly, potentially sustainable. And, and that, that's the way you have to look at it. But
0: with John Gallup, John Farrell brings up a really important point. A lot of people think having the confidence to be in the market to participate is an easy task. You've been brilliant about participating in the market. State the faith this morning. Somebody's going home this weekend, and as they get ready to root for the Patriots to get it done, they're going to go, should I be in the market? State the case for people to think it's a simple exercise.
3: Well, well, I don't think right now, Tom, it, it is such a, uh, an easy exercise. and I'll tell you why. The first thing is, is that the economy is legitimately going to be slower in, in in 2019 and 2020 than it was last year. And the earnings as a result are going to be not, they're not going to be horrible, but they're also going to be weaker. But here's the key. We're not going into recession. We're going to hear from uh, today that, that jobs are still expanding um, in this in this country. Um, The Fed, the the consensus belief on Wall Street is that the Fed is entirely done raising rates for this cycle so that they're no longer a headwind, and we're still reaping the benefits of the fact that in the fourth quarter of last year, you had stock prices get smacked down really hard, and stocks are are really inexpensive compared to where they
1: were a few months ago. So, John, I want to bring you a quote from Andrew Sheets of Morgan Stanley, who we caught up with a little bit earlier, he basically said, if you look back at history, when the Fed has gotten more dovish because of weakening data, that's been a bad time for investors. It's helpful the Fed is helping, but it doesn't solve some of these bigger issues. What do you think about that, John?
3: Well, here's what happens, uh, Jonathan, typically, is the Fed stops raising rates when they've screwed up and gone too far and, and really done some damage. And it, it's, it's somewhat rare that they pull off a soft landing. And right now, it kind of looks like that's where we are, that the Fed has gone from zero rate policy to 2.5% on Fed funds when most other major countries in the world are still at zero or negative. Um, but I don't believe that they've done the kind of damage that they have in the past. So perhaps this time is the magic bullet, there, and this is that, uh, that soft landing that everybody hopes. Well, John, I actually think I think it is.
1: Many people reflecting on the 1990s kind of playbook, the mid-90s going into the late 90s as a framework for thinking about this market. Is that a useful framework to use, John?
3: You know, I, I think that we always try to, to say, what's the thing which looks closest to yeah. this? And, and I'm not sure that we can. And I think that the, the, the most important difference right now is I think that the overall long-term trend here is on slower economic growth. And it doesn't mean recessionary. It just means um, a, a little bit uh, more sluggish. Okay. I think that if you, the most likely period this is going to mimic is 2012 through 2015.
0: Okay, fine. Do I own the beleaguered to have them come back, or given your slower model, do you value more highly, marginally better growth? Which is it?
3: I I think in this environment, um, companies that generate lots of cash flow, companies that have lower fixed overhead, companies that generate growth that doesn't need the economy, which means that in this environment, tech companies look good, healthcare companies look good, and maybe as importantly, the U.S. market, I still think, looks better than the rest of the world because our businesses yeah. are, are more resilient just because of the
1: industries they're in.
0: Is Amazon resilient? I mean, they come out with earnings oh, no, you know they're down what John, two percent, John Farrell, two percent, three percent, whatever.
1: I think it was more than that. At yeah, one point.
0: Well, you know they're down, and there's all that. but how do I, mean, I know you don't do individual stocks. But what do you do, John Gollup, with a double digit revenue grower in your lower revenue growth environment?
3: If, if that revenue growth, if, if it was an energy company that had, had, that had double-digit energy growth because of the commodity, I'm yeah. not that interested. If it's a double-digit grower because they're taking share from everyone else around it, they'd yeah. be taking share whether the economy was a little stronger or a little bit weaker. Right. You have to like those kind
1: of companies. The stock down 4% in case you're wondering, Tom, okay, in well, the pre-market. Thank
0: you. Do you have any more questions for Mr. Gollop? I have plenty of
1: questions for Jonathan Gollop. I wanted to pick up on his point about buy America versus the rest of the world. It's interesting, actually. There are some people, John, excited now the Fed has backed away and seemingly we may well get a trade deal that the opportunity will lie outside of America. What's your message to those?
3: The... You want to buy outside of the U.S. when you have a an accelerating economy, and you want to buy in the U.S. when the economy is more stagnant. And the reason for that is that yeah. U.S. the U.S. – the S&P is more services. There are more businesses that are not as industrial-based. And so if the economy slows over the next year to two as – not only I expect, but as a consensus view is, then the U.S. tends to do better in that environment. It's not about the U.S. economy being, being better. It's really about the environment being one that, that tends to favor S&P 500. John Golub,
0: thank you so much. It's thank you, John. Really, really, you know, what's great about Golub, you go into his research, you know, John, and there's always that one thing that shocks you, and he did that X apple X energy thing with yeah. S&P 500. It's a whole different look. One of the best eradic- on the street.
1: Always, always helps me think.
0: It was 1986. It was a summer. I have the clearest memory of the shock of the Iceland summit, the Ravik summit, of Reagan and Gorbachev. Our Michael McKee was there. Michael is down in Washington today, knee-deep in the jobs report, but we're doing better. Margaret Brennan with us, of course, the host of Face the Nation. See it on CBS, all of their network affiliates, coast-to-coast. Sunday morning, you can hear it at 2 p.m. on Bloomberg Radio. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But Margaret, you're actually way knowledgeable on this. What is the import that the Secretary of State and the President of the United States are going to walk away from Reykjavik?
4: Well, this is significant. The INF Treaty, uh, it's it's one of those nuclear arms control agreements that tried to put a cap on the buildup and the missiles that could could direct these nuclear weapons at uh, each other. What strategically the Trump administration says this does, quietly says this does, is that it allows them to uh, build up in response to China. It frees them from the constraints there to address a new threat uh, within Asia. But it also, and what they're saying publicly, is that they say a response to Russia breaking the rules anyhow. They say Russia has already been developing missiles outside of the uh, agreement, and therefore uh, this thing wasn't effective in, in the first place. But this gives us six months. They could change their minds if Russia comes into compliance, but very few people think that'll actually happen.
0: With Huawei and the Chinese, there's this illusion of Republican and Democratic Party support for the outrage over Huawei. Whatever That's a separate issue. Is there any kind of Republican and Democratic support of what Secretary Pompeo's proposing? Uh,
4: In terms of the INF Treaty? In terms of the uh, INF
0: uh, Treaty, excuse me.
4: Uh, Yes, uh, there is. There's a lot of support, actually, And in that uh, intelligence chief exchange you saw on Capitol Hill earlier this week. You heard some of that from Republicans, um, certainly uh, Senator Marco Rubio, Senator Tom Cotton. They want to see the administration get, quote unquote, tougher on Russia. They like that signaling and they also like reorientation towards China. So they cheer it on. The question is really, uh, you know, it's interesting how much uh, Russia and Putin are given uh, airtime beyond their actual impact. But, you know, are they actually undermining us in other ways? Uh, You know, we may be dealing with this treaty, but when they're doing things like social media manipulation and other things, are they actually more effective at using the new tools rather than the old ones?
0: Uh, Margaret Bennon, you're the only one I know that actually counts the number of presidential tweets per day. That completely <laughs> shifts face the nation on Sunday. I'm going to take a real risk here that maybe Trump Pelosi leads a charge. Frame face the nation for this Sunday morning on CBS.
4: We will be speaking with President Trump, continuing this tradition of a Super Bowl time. OK,
0: stop, 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 Margaret. Rams are patriots to see if we continue.
4: Look, I'm a Connecticut Yankee, but, you know, I I guess I'm supposed to be neutral in this one. Uh, you got
0: to be neutral because you're with CBS. There you go. What are you going to say to President Trump this weekend? I mean, it is a great tradition of the Super Bowl. It's also a really serious interview. How will you approach this interview with the President of the United States?
4: Well, you know, we will talk about a range of things, including, you know, we know he's a Patriots, Patriots fan. We want to talk to him a little bit about the fun stuff, but also a lot of serious. uh, including um, the chances of another shutdown in three weeks less than three weeks now uh, whether he intends to bypass Congress to get funding to build this border wall that he's still arguing with Congress about Mm -hmm. Democrats about Um, But also look at some of the security threats, whether it's Venezuela. He's tweeting this morning about Syria and Afghanistan and again, vowing to bring our troops home. What does that look like, particularly when you have seen the vast majority of Republicans in the Senate rebuke him, tell him he is endangering national security by going through with a precipitous withdrawal from the battlefield?
0: Margaret Brennan, thank you so much. Really looking forward to this interview of the weekend without question. Margaret Brennan and President Trump. It has been an extraordinary October, the peace of November, what a December, and into January. And the house call that won last year by a country mile was the shop known as Morgan Stanley. There Ellen Zentner way out front, way out front on a Fed that would slow down, would demur from higher interest rates, She nailed that. And Michael Wilson nailed the struggles of the equity market. He is their uh, chief U.S. equity strategist. And Mike Wilson uh, joins us this morning uh, from our interactive broker studio, the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. Mike, you've got to reappraise after down 13 percent, up 13 percent, whatever the math is. How do you position into this new month?
5: Yeah, well, thanks, Tom. Um, look, I think, uh, as you said, we've just had this crazy uh, move both down and up. I mean, clearly, uh, December, uh, we think, overshot on the downside. Uh, we expected uh, things to bounce back, like pretty much everybody. <clears throat> We're, you know, Nobody's really ever sure how far it's going to snap back. And I think, obviously, price momentum uh, makes people feel more bullish, uh, just like negative price momentum makes them feel more bearish. And sure. I think that that's a little bit of a mirage at the moment so if you're if you're actually intellectually honest here I would say what's going on is the Fed made an absolute pivot in uh, earlier uh, in January and they followed it up you know on Wednesday with kind of confirming they're not going to raise rates anytime soon and they may even start to address the balance sheet in a way that I, I mean
0: very... did did, Morgan, did Jim Gorman give Ellen Zetner tickets at the 50yard line
5: I mean is Ellen <laughs> she Zetner like 10 North rows North North up yeah Thing, that's for sure. She absolutely nailed so, it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and so look, I mean, but, but that's why stocks are up, okay? Stocks are up because the Fed changed. Um, and, and that was one of our reasons we were negative last year is the Fed was tightening a little too quickly. Okay. So that's that's good. Okay, and stocks are rallying on bad news. And I think folks are somewhat misinterpreting that. That means that all the bad news is priced fundamentally. But the reality, Tom, is that, and we're equity analysts, you know, the earnings revisions are terrible, okay? And what I mean by that is that the forward earnings estimates are coming down even more rapidly than we expected. And we've been calling for an earnings recession in 2019 for a while. So that does not make us feel very comfortable. And we think here at 2700, this is probably the bad trade. This is not the time to be chasing. Uh, we think we're going to get a pullback. I don't think we're going to get a full test anymore of December, but I think we'll get a very substantial retracement, yeah. and at which point then stocks will be attractive again. But you uh, know, I think it's, you know, this up-and-down nature, it, the market is still trying to figure out exactly right. what, the right, what the right price is. And yeah. you know, from our standpoint, it's sort of fair to expensive again.
2: Right. Paul Sweeney? So, Mike Wilson, anything in the jobs report today that causes you to change your view or change what you think the Fed will do uh, here in the first half of the year?
5: You know, it's interesting, uh, you know, clearly uh, Ellen's had a you know more uh, bearish call on the economy than the consensus for this year to see a deceleration in the economy towards 1% by 3Q. Uh, of course, payroll numbers were very strong. Headline payroll numbers make people kind of question, well, is that really what's going on? I would argue yes, because they, there was a big revision last month downward, so the headline number is not as big. And, and if you look at the unemployment rate, you know, uh, kind of perplexingly, is it's actually up now two months in a row and the U6 is up five-tenths. So I think the underlying jobs market may be actually weakening uh, more than what the headlines might be suggesting. So I, I think Ellen's got it right. I think we're going to continue to decelerate on growth. That doesn't mean recession. but And I think there's a good reason for that. Companies' earnings are not as strong, so they're not going to be hiring as rapidly.
2: So, Mike, what's given we do have a dovish Fed at the moment, uh, the economy seems solid to two and a half percent. What would get you a little bit more uh, aggressive as it relates to equities?
5: You know, clearly uh, in December we were we were pretty vocal. That was right at our bear case target at 2,400. I mean, that's a great price. I think 2,500 would be a very attractive price too. And by the way, it's stock by stock. So what I don't like right now is that you know the market's kind of going back to some of these high flying stocks and paying probably too high a multiple. So we're being very sensitive on valuation. And there's definitely things out there that we like uh, that are properly priced. Um, but I, I think you need to be disciplined about your entry points. You don't have this big tailwind at your back anymore of accelerating growth right. and you know easy monetary policy. Well, when you,
0: when you look at all your analysts across, and I don't know how many research analysts you have, but it's an island nation. When you look at your research analysts, what do they say down the income statement? And can corporate officers adapt to the new lower revenue prospects? I mean, is there wiggle room there for them to hold margins and maintain free cash flow?
5: Well, tom, there's there's one thing we know about corporate America is that they're very good at cutting costs. They're, they're probably you know it's world class. right that's what that's what American companies do well. And they will absolutely react quickly if the you know top line prospects start to deteriorate. And I think as once again, I think we're starting to see some of that. If you actually peel back the onion on some of those labor numbers, I'm not sure that that's not what's going on already. I think we're starting to see companies reevaluate CapEx, potentially. You know, um, you know, One of the reasons why Amazon stock was down overnight is because they're spending more money than maybe people expected. Well, if they're going to do that in the face of lower revenues, by the way, they have missed revenues for a couple quarters now, um, then that's going to have a margin impact. And then ultimately they'll have to cut back if that doesn't change. So companies will absolutely respond uh, in spades if, if, uh, if top line is short.
2: So, Mike, are there any sectors at the moment that you feel attractive? Let's take FANGs for example. They led the market down in December, leading it back up here in the first quarter, real quickly. How do
1: you view those?
5: Well, I mean, FANG is not really a, a sector, but I get what you're saying. So high multiple, you know, kind of software, internet, uh, you know, maybe secular growth type companies. Uh, that is that is what has really served investors well in the era of QE and fiscal austerity, right? Low growth world. You want to you want to pay up for growth. And you know, we made a call last year that we think that era is kind of over. Uh, meaning, those stocks are fine; those are great companies. Okay, you just got to be careful what you pay for them. And I would argue in December they were on sale, and you should have been buying them. But here, yeah. a lot of these things have come back to well, the point now where I think they're probably a little overpriced. I would be okay more on if they're offering better value.
0: Mike Wilson with us of Morgan Stanley.